Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the ISI Life podcast. The ISI Life stands for Iron Sharpens Iron, which comes from Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And really what we're trying to do here within the ISI Life is to help people do things God's way. We have five Fs that we focus on, faith, family, faculty, finance, and fitness. We talk about all five, but really what we do is rather than compartmentalizing, we challenge and encourage people to put faith at the center of their wheel and how putting faith at the center can equip us to do excellent things within the other four Fs. And that's really what we're doing here on the podcast. And I came across um, this other verse that I want to just share. You may have heard it before, but it's Ecclesiastes 10.10. And it says, if the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. And I really think that's at the core of why we're doing this podcast is to give you tools so you aren't blunt, but you are sharp so that you can go through life a little swifter and not have to work maybe as hard as you need to by just seeking some wisdom. And that's really what we do by talking to our guests and the people that are gracious enough to spend some time. And uh, one of those guys is today's guest, James Lenhoff. He is an awesome ISI guy. He spoke at our recent Columbus retreat. He is the author of a book, Living a Rich Life, The No Regrets Guide to Building and Spending Wealth. It is an amazing book. I just recently listened to it and um, got a lot out of it. And he's also the host of the Rich Life podcast, which you can find pretty much anywhere podcasts are found. And um, outside of that, I'm excited to bring you this conversation and just want to mention our website uh, has everything on it. So everything that we do as an organization, the retreats, the podcast resources, it's all there. There's a bunch of free tools and assessments that might help you think differently, be sharper and be the best version of yourself. So check those out. And um, without further ado, I'll get to this episode with James. All right, James, I'm excited, uh, beyond excited to have you on the podcast today. So thanks for making the time. Oh, man. So happy to be here. Thanks, Nick. It's, uh, it's been fun. I've been listening to your book and just going back through some of your, uh, you know, your podcast as well. And I'm excited to finally connect with you and bring you, you know, bring our audience a topic about finances and how we can manage our, our finances from a biblical perspective and, and be good stewards of what we've been blessed with. So thanks for, you know, parting some of your wisdom today on us. Well, it's it's not my wisdom. It's the wisdom I've gleaned just watching people live life. So I love sharing it. Money is my favorite topic to talk about. So I know a lot of yeah. times it's it's intimidating for people, but it's my favorite thing to dive into because it's so important that we get this right. It is. Yeah. So give us a little background for, for those of us that don't know you, um, kind of who you are, where you, you know, background professionally, personally, and, and then we'll kind of dive into the money conversation. Yeah, sure. So I am... Uh, incredibly uh, blessed to be married. My, my wife, Amy, uh, 20 years. So we're a little over 20 years now. Uh, awesome. We have three kids, uh, Max, Wes, and Mia. Max is uh, driving, which is crazy. He's 15 and a half. He's got his learner's permit. He's not fully <laughs> oh, driving man. yet, but it's still scary enough. Uh, Wes is 13 and Mia, our daughter's 11. So, and uh, background wise, I, I started into the financial services industry uh, in 2000. Uh, right before the tech bubble popped uh, and everything was fine and everybody was doing well and happy. And then the world ended, you know, tech bubble <laughs> popped, the whole thing imploded. And mm -hmm. all the guys that I was working with were telling me, Hey, don't worry. This is something that only happens like once in your career. You don't need to worry <laughs> about this. And then it just keeps happening. <laughs> so oh, I have okay. walked a lot of crazy seasons uh, with lots of different families. I uh, started a company called WealthQuest. Uh, we do 
financial planning, wealth management. We also do our clients' tax returns, their estate work. We just kind of put it all in one place. And uh, we have 1,500 families that we work for. And so there's just been so much amazing life that we've gotten to see just by walking with them. And that's really where uh, all of what I know came from. It's really neat to be, you know, involved in that, I guess, circle of trust where you're on the inner circle of, you know, the huge decisions that families are making around, you know, housing and education and investing and retirement. I mean, pretty neat to have a front row seat to all those big questions that families wrestle with and be able to be a, you know, counsel along the way. Yeah, it's it's the most intimate thing to talk about, maybe other than your sex life, right? Yeah. Is your money, right? It, it's it's like the thing that you hide. It's the thing that you fake. You know, we yeah. know what's really going on, and so it yeah. is an incredible sacred place that you're in with families because you know what most people in their life don't know about them. Mm-hmm. And so it's yeah, it's it's been an honor for sure. Man, yeah, it's uh, it's. Yeah, it's not something you walk around publicly with a you know a number above your head or a right. public you know tax return <laughs> hanging out there. It's it's not like everybody knows what kind of fitness shape you're in because they can which, just look at you. That's right. Which <laughs> honestly, you're absolutely right. And I think part of what I love about what ISI is doing is it needs to be more of a community conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, when we struggle with things or we're scared about things and we're dealing with the the turmoil of all that in isolation, it's not good. Yeah. We need community around it. And so I love mm-hmm. that you're bringing this to the to the community and saying, we need to talk these things together. Yeah. Or, or at least have one or two people, you know, that you're open and talking with right. and not just keep boiling it up to yourself. It can be a lot of stress, you know, trying to make the right decisions and making sure you're doing the right moves. Um, so yeah, even For if sure. it's a small group of people that you trust. Um, so, well, I love it. Um, I have, um, enjoyed, like I mentioned, uh, listening to the podcast, um, and then also listening to the book, but, uh, you want to give a little glimpse, maybe, what the podcast is about and, and the book and kind of how you, how you did both those. And then we'll go from there. Yeah, sure. Yeah. The, the book, um, was really the, the beginning of it. I, uh, had this weight on me that God was really pressing, uh, on saying, Hey, I didn't give you access to 1500 families living their lives out in front of you just for your own good. Mm-hmm. Like, you need to share the wisdom you've gleaned from all of these amazing stories. And so, um, so I started to kind of put this concept together of the idea that I've discovered over 21 years of doing this, being in the financial services business, um, is that money and regret both compound. And the mistake is people tend to overly focus on the fact that money compounds. And so they make decisions around what gives them more money, more, in- more income, more growth on their investments, whatever, because more money is always the right move. But then I'm working with the people who are in their 80s who have a bigger pile of regret. They have a mm-hmm. giant pile of money, but they have a bigger pile of regret because mm-hmm. all along they were making decisions that made sense at the time. But as they look back, they wish they'd have done something totally different. And so the book is really an attempt to try to give people a framework, not rules. Don't you know? None of these always, always, always do this or never do that because life's not linear enough to right. do that. We need wisdom that allows us to make good decisions in the moment based on the circumstance rather than these always or never kind of statements. So, so that's really where the book came from. And, you know, this idea of living a rich life is not about money Uh, Mm -hmm. and money is emotional. It's not mathematical. We keep telling everybody it's just math. Uh, 21 years of doing this, the math is the easy part, man. It's, (laughs) it's pretty straightforward. 
the fact is money's emotional and relational and experiential and it's where all of our humanness mixes in and it gets really messy. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's the hard part. And that's the part that I think we need to spend more time in. And so, so that's for the book. That's then what happened was after the book came out and everybody kind of resonated with it, I said, well, I, I mean, let's talk more about it. Let's get a conversation going. So I started the podcast and it's really been about trying to continue to press further into this idea that maybe we've been having the wrong conversation about money. You know, mm -hmm. maybe we actually need to talk about the, the emotion and the relationship aspects more. And then the math part just kind of falls in line if we do that mm -hmm. part right. So I love it. And I, I like the title too in the book, mm -hmm. um, in the no regrets, um, let me pull it up here. You probably have it off the top of your head. I do. Yes. <laughs> I remember it well. Yeah. It's the no regrets guide to bu building and spending wealth. Yes. Yeah. Um, and when I first, you know, read that, uh, I was like, oh, that's interesting. And you really started the book with, you know, talking about regrets. And I was like, oh, kind of like a somber way to, you know, kick this thing off. <laughs> kind of a bummer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I almost, uh, I was great. like, okay, I know. Uh, okay. We'll get past this uh, chapter. But I, I loved it because um, there was another book, you know, there were, uh, butcher the title, but something along the lines of regrets of the dying. Mm. And it was about a hospice nurse who, you know, interviewed all these people on their deathbed and reviewed wow. some of the things that they would, you know, would have done differently. And a lot of those, you know, there's some parallels between the things you're talking about and, um, you know, investing in, um, experiences and investing in, uh, your people and mm. the things that they wouldn't make financial sense. The math, you know, maybe doesn't make financial sense, but it is the thing that is emotional and important. So um, and it's the right I, thing to do. That's right. Sometimes the things that are the right thing to do, uh, you have a hard time explaining to others because they don't make mathematical sense. Yeah. But that doesn't it. mean they don't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's really good. Well, um, so I, you had a couple awesome concepts and maybe we can just jump into one or two of those. Sure. And then if need be, we can always uh, come back for round two of this. But um, the first one was the learn the lie. Yeah. Which it really got me. Yeah, it gets everybody. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, this is this is something that I struggle with. The funny thing is, uh, every now and then I'll be caught up in the lure and the lie, or one or the other, and I'll explain what those are. But my wife will make the comment, which is like the most kind of painful, but so accurate. She'll she'll say, "Hey, have have you read the book that you wrote?" <laughs> I'm like, don't. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> that's for other people. That's for other yeah, people. That's right. Yeah, that's that's not for me. So the yeah, the lore and the lie. The lore is the lore of more, and the lie is the, the lie of being irreplaceable. And mm. these are the forces that pull on all of us at all times that we tend to not really understand very well. The the, the lore of more. The way I kind of think of it is, we experience life in the marginal change. So I only really experience the thing that's different, you know, that, mm -hmm. that next nicer car, that next nicer house, that next title, everything that's changing is what I actually feel because it's different than what's normal because everything that's normal kind of just disappears. We're just mm -hmm. used to it. It's what we're kind of locked Wired. into. It's like the yeah. water you're swimming in, right? Mm -hmm. And so you need that marginal change in order to feel something different, which is why it's so attractive. But the problem with the lore of more is that we also pay for those things. The cost of those things is also a marginal change. So it's only this much more in a mortgage payment, or it's only the lease payment on this new car is only this much more than what I'm paying now. Or, you know, my, if I take this next job, it's only two more days a month of travel. And we lose sight of what we've already sacrificed to live what we're already living. 
right? We, we don't think in terms of the total cost. We only think of the marginal cost. Hmm. And so there's this constant attractiveness because of that change and it never feels like it's costing us anything. And so the, the way that I illustrated in the book is this idea of longshore drift, mm-hmm. which is when you go to the beach and you plant your umbrella in the sand and you go and you play in your with your kids in the ocean and at some point you pop up and you look back at the beach and you go, where's my stuff? Right? <laughs> and it's 150 yards down the beach. You've just kind of floated sideways. You never intended to go in that direction. It just happened. Right. Yeah. And I'll be sitting across the table from a client or, you know, the, the, a family that's in that moment where they pop up and go, how the heck did we get here? Like, I never meant to work this much or travel this much. We never meant yeah. to be running at this breakneck pace to keep up with everything. Mm-hmm. It just happened. Right. Yeah. Slowly creep, creeps in over time. That's right. That's right. And and the key, uh, well, I'll get to the, to the, the, what we take the teeth, how we take the teeth out of these things, but let me explain the lie of being irreplaceable next. Cause mm-hmm. it's, vicious. The, the lie of being irreplaceable is what I consider a rip current and that it just yanks you away from all the things that matter. You know, and it, it sounds mm-hmm. something like this, like um, you're the only one that can do it. You're the only one that can sell this, this sale. You're the only one that can close the deal, lead this team, manage this project. We need you. You're the hero. Mm-hmm. And it's so addictive and so intoxicating because we want to be that. We want to yeah. be the hero. Mm-hmm. But we turn to our wife and our kids and we say, you guys don't understand. I got to go. They need me. I don't have a choice. Right. And we leave the roles where we actually are irreplaceable mm-hmm. and we go do jobs that anybody could do. I, I can tell you there's literally thousands and thousands of people in the city of Cincinnati where I live that could do my job. And m- many of them could probably do it better than I can. But no one on this planet can be a husband to my wife and no one on this planet can be a father to my kids other than me. Yeah. And so I'm convincing myself that I'm irreplaceable in places that anybody could do those jobs. And then I'm losing my role where I am irreplaceable. And so that's really the the vicious one. And that's the one I see all the time in guys. It's Mm -hmm. just, it's heartbreaking to watch. Yeah. And you're referring to time at work, time spent on projects, time spent, you know, going after things that increase, you know, income, mm-hmm. obviously that being the, the, the lie and, and the lure at the same time, the connectedness right. of those two. Yeah, totally. Well, and, and, but it's also a lot of times ministry work. You know, I, I volunteer in several different uh, organizations. I'm on several different boards and, you know, I can easily get sucked into the same lie, even if I'm not getting paid. Right. Mm-hmm. Where people are like, but we need you. We need your leadership. We need your whatever. Yeah. You're, and I get sucked into it. And that's when my wife says, yeah. did you read the book you wrote? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah. I am well, replaceable. That's right. I, I no, need you, to say no to things. Yeah. So sometimes we, sometimes we write the books or do the things and we're actually the ones who need it totally. the most. Uh, oh, absolutely. That's right. Yes. These are all yeah. things that I need to remind myself of often. But <laughs> but the way we take the teeth out of those things mm-hmm. is by deciding ahead of time what is enough. So yeah. I, I, I call it a lifestyle cap where you say, this is satisfaction. This is contentment. I don't need more. Uh, and you define, and that's not rice and beans. It's not, you know, living in austerity. Yeah. You know, it can be very comfortable, but you still draw the line somewhere because then when that lie says, but if you take this role, if you lead this project, you're going to get a bigger bonus. You're going to like all these things, like you said, are intertwined. Mm-hmm. But if we say this is enough, 
then we stop being so subject to that lure because we go, no, I don't need more. It's fine. Yeah. I'll, I have what I need. Yeah. And then the other thing is this idea of non-negotiables where we say, uh, this is what we're going to choose. We're, we're going to live this kind of lifestyle. You know, And the problem with non-negotiables is they have consequences. If I say, I'm going to be home for dinner every night, let's say, and that's a non-negotiable. Well, then that means I can't take the job where I'm traveling all the time, right? There's a consequence to that choice. And if I'm not doing the job that I'm traveling all the time, I may not be making quite as much money, which means my kids may not go to private school, for example, mm -hmm. right? There's mm -hmm. all these things have different consequences. And a lot of times we say, I want all of it. I'll take yeah. everything. Well, no, <laughs> these are, these are either or decisions. And if we choose, I want to pick this up and those consequences that come with that, I will accept. Mm -hmm. Then we actually get to live that out. But when we don't consider the consequences, we just assume we can have everything. And then you end up in these situations where you're just trapped in this never ending chase yeah. for the next things. So well, that's, I mean, talking about the lifestyle cap and the non-negotiables, you know, as you and Amy have navigated 20 years of marriage and almost 16 years of, you know, being parents, um, how often do you revisit those things? Great question. Yeah. I, the, the lifestyle cap is an annual conversation. As we set into the next year, so we'll be having that, you know, end of the year as we're kind of finishing up, we look back on this year that we just lived mm -hmm. and we compare what we, you know, have experienced to what we set out to experience. Did, did we spend what we said we were going to spend on travel and, and fun and vacation? Did we give what we said we were going to give? Did we, you know, all the things that we set out to say, this is the life we're going to live. And then next year, the question is, okay, well, what changes? Mm -hmm. What do we need less of? You know, what, what did we overdo this year? What do we need more of that we didn't do enough of last year? And what does that mean? Mm -hmm. And then we lock in, okay, then this is all we need. Hmm. Right? So it's not a, like a forced thing where you, you know, life changes. You know, when we yeah. first started having a lifestyle cap, we had one kid. Yeah. Right. And then, mm -hmm. you know, costs go up when you have three kids. It's just mm -hmm. the way it works. And so, yep. You know, yep. you, you allow for that flexibility, but you decide in advance that the, the, the secret to all of this is intentionality. Mm -hmm. Because if you're not intentional with these resources that God has given you to manage, you end up being really irresponsible with them and reckless. And so, yeah. because marketing agencies have learned a long time ago, they can really manipulate us. They're very yeah. good at it. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. if we don't start with some intentionality, then they win. I love it. I mean, it's, I think that's good. I think to, cause sometimes you, you know, you listen to that concept of setting a lifestyle cap and you think, okay, am I setting that cap for like the next 10 years, 15 right. years? Like what, right. what are we talking about here? Cause, uh, in my experience with, we have three boys, you know, six, six and two, mm. the things that we're thinking about now or that are important to us or on our radar are way different than they were seven years ago. That's right. And, and I don't know what's going to be ahead in the next three years or five years, but, um, no, I like that. That's great advice. And then you guys also do the non-negotiables kind of in the same conversation. That's a, it's, it's, yeah, exactly right. I mean, we're part of the key for the lifestyle cap is the non-negotiables are, are part of that math, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, this year, for example, coming out of 2020, one of the things we decided going into 2021 is assuming we're allowed to, we are going to go on adventures together. Yeah. Right. And so we didn't spend anything really on travel in 2020, we weren't allowed, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So we did, we, we went kind of crazy this year and we knew we were going <laughs> to, so we had to shrink other parts of our lifestyle cap in order to accommodate 
like this is what we're going to do travel wise. But yeah. what happened was then, you know, we did Disney in February of 2021. We did a national park tour during the summer. And then Amy and I just got back from Italy for a, our 20th anniversary trip. Cause we've been oh, aiming wow. at Italy for 20, you know, we like when we get to 20 years, we're going to Italy. Yeah, we're doing it. That's... So we did it and it was amazing. Super cool. But all of that was within the framework of this year, travel yeah. and adventure is a non-negotiable. And it yeah. means that the consequences, we're not going to get to do this. We're not going to, you know, upgrade that part of the house. We're not going to fix that thing. Like we're not going to buy a new car, right? Any of that kind of stuff. Sure. Mm -hmm. Cool. We'll give all that up because we want this this time. So the consequences were, were part of that conversation as well. And then when you're doing it, you know, you're doing what you said you were going to do. You just have more fun, mm -hmm. you know, because you, yeah. you know that you're free to really engage with it because you've ad addressed the consequences already. I, I, man, that's so cool. And I love, um, obviously you're at the kids are an age being 15 yes. and a half, 13, 11, where you, I'm sure you're engaging them in this family conversation. And so they're getting some reps in very early. Yes, <laughs> which is, absolutely. Well, yeah. one of the things that I think I see a lot of times with families that, you know, I don't believe that there is a point where it's too early to bring your kids in to the conversation mm -hmm. around just your overall family finances and how you're running things. Um, I think we tend to hide money from kids. Like the conversation is whether it's intimidating or it just feels like it's too complicated, they won't understand it. So we just, they never get access to it. And then money becomes taboo, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. They're, and they always feel like they're, they don't know how to do it because we've never let them be part of doing it. And so of yeah. course they stink at it. <laughs> like we never taught them. Um, yeah. And, you know, or we're afraid, you know, I, I, I talk, I think I might've talked about this in the book, but there's this, uh, this running joke in our family where, you know, my, my kids know our finances, like they, they know what's happening they know how this works. And, you know, one of them asked at one point, Hey dad, are we rich? And, you know, this is a Bill Cosby line, but, you know, he said, you know, well, you're, you're I said, your, your mom and I are, are doing quite well. You, however, are pretty much worth <laughs> nothing. So, you know, <laughs> but just giving them access to like, this is how this works. Mm -hmm. And, and I want them to know that we have resources because I also want them to be part of our decisions to give those resources away aggressively. Yeah. Be generous, right? I love that. You, um, unrelated, but related, I'm, sure. um, I'm a big Bear Grylls fan. You talked about adventure. And, uh, oh, yeah, man. He, he, he's, uh, I have a little like daily devotional. And this morning he was talking about you don't become a horseman by, well, you become a horseman by falling off the horse. Yes. And um, you gave a story in your book about, you know, a kid who made a bad first car purchase. And, um, you know, that really resonated with me about letting you know, your kids make decisions on buying cheap chintzy toys early so they learn, you know, they feel a little bit of that pain. And yeah. I'm thinking about my kids and they're, they're six, but so many good lessons I could teach them right now, uh, oh, even yeah. at their young age. And that uh, won't cost anything. I mean, yeah. that's the beauty, right? If you, if you wait until they're in college before they start having any real experience with money, they're going to make the same mistakes. Mm -hmm. It's just that their mistakes when they're in college involve a comma, right? <laughs> they're just really expensive. They're the same mistakes that my kids made when they were four yeah. buying that stupid useless piece of plastic that we all knew was going to break in the car on the way home. But letting them buy it with their own money allows them to experience that early. And it only costs five bucks. Yeah. Right. Instead of 5,000 bucks. <laughs> yeah. And, and let them make the mistake. You know, just, right. you just need to, you know, avoid the, uh, the big stuff early, I guess. But, and that's because money is not mathematical. Mm -hmm. If it was mathematical, you could just throw a textbook at them and they would know what they need to know. It's emotional. 
Hmm. And you only learn that by experiencing it. You got to yeah. let them feel it. Yep. That's right. That's good. That's awesome. All right. So um, let's talk about stewardship as we, we, this concept has come up in ISI a lot. And I think it's definitely a desire of most people who are coming to ISIs. They want, they know that they want to be good stewards of all their things, of all five Fs, um, sure. but particularly within finances. So um, kind of give us a level set on your, you know, I guess, big view on stewardship. Yeah. Yeah. Most of my uh, thoughts around stewardship are really rooted in the parable of the talents, right? So Jesus tells the story of this master who gives his servants his money, his resources, Mm -hmm. and then he goes away and he gives five to one, he gives three to one or two. There's different, I guess there's different versions of a similar story in the Bible, but then he gives the one talent to the one servant and the, Mm then the master comes back. He's gone for a while. And the one that had uh, five doubled it, right? The, 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 the ones that did something with it mm-hmm. were rewarded. And then there's this one that had one and he buried it in the ground because he was afraid. And I think the things that I used to take from that story are, okay, so I'm supposed to just do really well. I'm supposed to grow this thing. And then I'm rewarded by the growth of that. But as I read it closer, I said, oh my gosh, I've been getting this wrong. Hmm. It's still the master's, all of it. Hmm. There wasn't a conversation where the master said, well done, good and faithful servant. Here, you keep half. I'll take the other half. Or here, you keep 90%. I'll just take my 10. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of your master. Be a part of celebrating that my kingdom is expanding. All of this is still the master's the whole time. Hmm. So two things that I take from it. One, there is an expectation of multiplication. We are supposed to be diligent at managing God's resources. We are supposed to multiply them. But secondly, they're always all his, 100%. There is nothing that you own. There's nothing that is yours. It's all his. Hmm. You're, you didn't create anything without the talent that he gave you, the, the very breath in your lungs. There's nothing that we have that we can claim as ours. Hmm. And so that changes the conversation entirely because instead of me saying, I did this, I created all of it. Look at how great I am. I'll go ahead and give you my 10%. And that's if like we're lucky. Most mm-hmm. Christians aren't even close to 10%. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll give you yours, right? If you flip that script and say, oh, no, 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 100% of this, of this is yours. I hold it open handily. I say, okay, God, wh- why'd you give me this? What do you want me to do with it? Mm-hmm. Right? Then I get to link arms with him in the kingdom work he's doing. And I get to partner in obedience and say, you know, if he says, here, give this to that person or help that cause or connect to this thing, I go, okay, it's all yours anyway. I don't care. Right? Like, yeah. So much more fun. It's way less scary, by the way, as well. You know, you're just you're in this freedom of being faithfully uh, stewarding his resources instead of mm. you know tightly gripping your own. Yeah. Well, and I, I guess th- that and the conversation we we're having earlier about the the cap and the lifestyle. You know, I think those two are very related concepts yes Yes. and i think that's probably one of the questions that comes up in some of the you know table talk we have at the retreats and whatnot is well how do i decide (laughs) you know if it is all his but i'm i'm here we're using it we're spending we're doing things how do i decide what's an appropriate level for me to to live at yeah Yeah. given that concept of stewardship yeah 
And that's part of the challenge is, you know, I think there's a, unfortunately kind of embedded in the, in the church subculture, mm-hmm. there's this, there's really this assumption that if, if I do well, then somehow I'm earthly, I'm, I'm worldly, I'm, I'm doing it wrong. Right? I should be a pauper that doesn't really succeed. I should be really poor and meek and mild. Yeah. And I have a little bit of a different view in that I'm looking at this and saying, if I'm connected to the creator of all wisdom and talent and skill, mm-hmm. I should be excellent at the work I do. Yeah. I should be outstanding at that work. And if, and I should expect that that outstanding work, if I'm adding value, will multiply the resources of the kingdom, but I always need to recognize they're the resources of the kingdom. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't get to go and do family adventure and we don't get to enjoy life, but we are deciding ahead of time with God's, you know, uh, kind of wisdom into it. You know, Mm -hmm. we pray into what, what does next year look like? What would you have us do? Mm -hmm. And then we draw the line and then we obey him with the rest so that we're not in this place of, kind of changing by the emotional wind that's blowing. Uh, we've already set a, a course and he can still change that course clearly. Like he can decide, you know what? Yeah. You're not doing this this year because this thing needs to happen. And we say, okay, mm-hmm. right. But what I found is when you start to step into obedience with what he's asking you to do with his resources, it's like a muscle. Mm-hmm. You exercise it and then you get more trusting in listen. You know what his voice sounds like feels like you know, you, you know that when you obey he's trustworthy mm-hmm. because you've done it before right and so you just grow in that skill set over time that's awesome man so cool yeah it's uh it is you know it's not ours and we you know we didn't come into this world with anything we won't take anything out of it i think uh i mean it's ken blanchard i think he said you know it all it's like the game of monopoly it all goes back in the box at the end of the day that's right that's exactly so right like pack yeah. it up and put it back in the cabinet <laughs> that's right exactly exactly it's yeah. awesome so well cool. one of the things about you know that that plan and you know, your annual spending plan or your lifestyle cap is about generosity and giving. And um, you, you talked a bit about this in the book, and I think this would be a, a you know great third point for us to hit on here and sure. talking about generosity and circuit breakers. But uh, take it away when it comes to generosity. <laughs> yeah, that's just my <laughs> favorite topic. Good. Um, yeah, awesome. I, it, is, it is what I think we are uh, put on this planet to, to experience is the, the beauty of partnering with another human and lifting their burden. Right. Yeah. So generosity is about us doing what God created us to do. We're hardwired to care for others. But there's these, what I've identified as three circuit breakers that cut that signal. And they're stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves. Right. So the one is uh, fortunate versus self made. If we tell ourselves a story that says, I did this, it's all mine. I put in the work, I did the effort, I get to keep it all, and no one helped me. Hmm. then why should I help you figure it out on your own? Right. We're fortunate when you flip that breaker and you tell yourself a story that says, Oh my goodness, I I can personally look back on my story and I can show you that 99%. And that's probably even given myself too much credit. 99% of the things that really mattered to get me where I am, I had Mm -hmm. nothing to do with. Yeah. Because I could have been born in Haiti. I could have been born during the plague. I could have been born to a single mom in the depths of poverty. That's just one of those things that I had no control over that mattered incredibly. You know, it was incredibly important for where I am. I had nothing to do with it. 
Mm-hmm. So that's the fortunate. I'm so fortunate. And when you stay in that fortunate, the breaker's on. I can stay connected to generosity. The, the second one is scarcity. I'm sorry. The second one, I, I got to do them in order so I can remember them. <laughs> the second one is um, uh, gratitude versus entitlement. That this entitlement mindset says somewhere along the way, I got shortchanged. I deserved that promotion. I deserved to not have to go through that divorce. I deserve, you know, whatever. Somewhere along the way, I got cheated out of something. And I can't give you anything until I get what's coming to me. Hmm. I deserve something. Wow. Gratitude, that mindset says, I, I don't deserve what I have. Right? I'm, I'm so incredibly grateful for the fact that all of this is stuff that I really don't truly deserve. And what an incredible gift. And so you can stay connected to, to generosity. And then the last one is scarcity and abundance. The scarcity story is there's not enough to go around. You know, we're all fighting and scrapping over limited resources to protect ourselves. And I'm not confident I have enough for me. So how on earth could I share any with you, mm-hmm. right? Where the abundance mindset says there's plenty, the, the, the pie gets bigger, right? It, we don't need to worry about there being enough because we are connected to the father of all abundance and he gives generously, right? So mm-hmm. we can stay connected to this idea that we are just part of his abundance being expressed into the world and so, you know, the problem with these breakers, those three different stories that can kind of cut that circuit is it doesn't take all three. It only takes one. Mm-hmm. You can recognize you're fully fortunate and you can be in this incredibly grateful mindset, but you can still have a fear of scarcity. Mm-hmm. And that's all it takes, right? Mm-hmm. So the key, the solution that we talk about in the book is this idea of the abundance fund. And this is kind of the the opposite uh a question that that most people are always asking. So any financial planner worth their salt would tell you, you should have an emergency fund. And I totally agree with that. I mean, I'm in the same boat. Everybody should have an emergency fund. But that's answering the question, what if things go wrong? Hmm. The question I'm actually more concerned about is what if things go well? How do we answer that question? Because most of the time we answer that question, well, I'll just spend it on myself. It'd be fun, yeah. right? Yeah. But when we have the lifestyle cap in place and we say this is enough, then when things go better than that and we have more coming in, we can set it aside. And an abundance fund is just a checking account. It's nothing fancy. Just another joint checking account that you've already decided is there to to give away. Mm -hmm. And it keeps all those breakers on. It proves you're fortunate. It proves you should be grateful. It proves you have an abundance. It's literally sitting there and it's called the abundance fund. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know how much clearer we can get there. But, <laughs> but then the beauty of it is, is now it's already set aside. So, you know, you're interacting with someone who's having a hard season and God just moves you and says, fix that. Mm-hmm. Partner with them in this. Lift that burden. You say yes. My wife will go to lunch and she'll have some story. You know, someone will be in a hard situation. She writes a check to make the problem go away. Mm-hmm. And then she comes home and she tells me, and I'm like, high five. We're not like, arguing yeah. about yeah. where's it going to come from? How's it going to fit in the budget? Like, it's already ready. My kids. Yeah, do this. Yeah. yeah my yeah. kids have their eyes open and their antenna up and they're listening for God to, to show them a burden that we can lift as a family. And they, they know the abundance funds here. They're coming home and saying, hey, what if we did this for this kid? He's struggling with something. Yeah, that's what it's here for, right? Mm-hmm. So we're all in this, this incredible experience of being obedient when God says, act. Right. Hmm. And so that's been the key. It's been we've we've had an abundance fund in our family for probably about 10 years now. And it is such a gift. That's cool. Such a beautiful thing. Yeah. I love it. I love it, man. That's some 
some good stuff there. I mean, beyond good. It's uh, no, I mean, that's, you know, that's so many years of you in your own experience, but then, you know, walking through life with all of your clients too and yeah. seeing, you know, what's working, what's not and how to, how to do it right. So the thing that I noticed walk in life with all these people is I have never met an unhappy, generous person. I am convinced <laughs> that they do not exist. Huh. And so there's something about that engaging in generosity that makes us feel most alive. And so I started to figure out, like, I just need to figure out a tool that gets me to do it more. There so, it is. Yeah. Well, it's, um, I'm, I'm, I'm a, we used to go to a bunch of uh, entre leadership and Dave Ramsey events and he had a guy on his team, uh, Chris Hogan that had a saying that you can't be hateful when you're grateful. Mm, and there you go. I was like, I was like, boom. That's it. That's awesome. I'll I'll write that it. one down. That's right. I'm going to take that one for sure. That's great. But he has this it. like big, big booming voice and it sounds way cooler. You, you know, I'm not, I'm not even going to try. I was going to, I was going to try for a second. But I'm gonna that's awesome. Uh, well, that's, that's I mean, some great stuff on, on finance and, um, obviously the book, uh, living a rich life, you know, I listened to it. It was, it was a, you know, fun and easy listen. And then, um, the podcast to the rich life podcast. So I know you dive into these topics and, and many more, uh, within all the stuff that's out there. So if anybody wants to, you know, if this piqued their interest, I would recommend checking those out. Thanks. Um, yeah, James, as we close down, um, a couple questions yeah. for you. Uh, what brings you the most joy? Um, I would say laughing around the dinner table with my <laughs> wife and kids. That's awesome. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Love it. Um, and we talked about your book. Uh, that mm -hmm. would be the number one book recommendation of this episode. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that's great. any other, you know, one maybe you're reading now or one that's been really meaningful to you that you maybe have gifted? Oh, yeah. Um, Gosh, I, I would say one that is a really uh, obscure one that I absolutely love is um, a book by Tim Keller. It's a 50-page little tiny pamphlet. They took a sermon and they turned it into a book. It's called uh, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. Hmm. It is life-changing. It'll take you an hour to read. It is what? phenomenal. The Freedom of Self- The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. It's phenomenal. It, wow. It basically the concept to boil it down quickly uh, is that uh, mm -hmm. we as Christians tend to fall a lot of times on one side of a spectrum or another. Either we think really highly of ourselves, like that we're doing it right and everybody else is doing it wrong and God's really lucky we're on his team, right? Mm -hmm. Or we think too lowly of ourselves. I'm broken. I'm sinful. I'm such a horrible person. I don't deserve anything. I'm, you know, and uh, Timothy Keller takes this uh, verse from uh, one of Paul's letters and he actually makes the argument that the problem is we, it's not that we need to think more highly of ourselves or think more lowly of ourselves. It's just that we need to think about ourselves less. Hmm. And it is so beautiful the way he calls us to that. So worth the, I think it's like $2 on Amazon. Mm. Um, worth it. Worth it. Out, out of the abundance fund. Yes, exactly. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> yes, that's right. And then another book that I'm a huge fan of, uh, just in the spiritual plane, uh, well, anything that Dallas Willard writes, um, I just absorb. But one that I that is another kind of random, obscure one is a, is a book called The Secrets of the Secret Place by Bob Sorge. And it changed the way I approached my uh, quiet time with the Lord in that I tended to approach it, and maybe you 
maybe a lot of the guys listening can relate. It, it's like a homework assignment. Mm-hmm. Like I got to show up, I got to read this many chapters. I need to do this much. I need to journal in this way in order for it to count, right? Mm-hmm. In order for me to check the box and say, I did my job. And what Sorge does in this book is he flips that script and says, this is, you're missing the point. Like God sets the banquet table. Mm-hmm. We just show up and receive from him. We're not trying to achieve anything. We're not trying to prove anything to him. He is there to nourish us and we just need to receive from him. And so it takes a lot of that homework assignment, accomplishment mind that I tend to bring to everything. Mm -hmm. um, And really gives me the peace to just experience God in a really deep way. So yeah, secrets of the secret place. It's fantastic. Wow. Thank you for sharing. Those are sounds like amazing recommendations. Yeah, you bet. Yeah. Um, what about a, uh, a life verse? I, yeah. you know, I don't have a, a life verse, uh, necessarily, but my verse that I, if I were to say is kind of the one I'm referencing on a regular basis, it'd be first yeah, this- Timothy six seventeen, Okay. Uh, through 19. And that is, uh, uh, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God mm-hmm. who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, and be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so they may take hold of that which is truly life. Love it. I love that verse. Yep. Yeah. That was gonna say if you had to get a tattoo, that's that's the way I should ask that question. Yeah. Which, uh, which, <laughs> <laughs> that is a good way to ask it. Yeah. Which one are you, which one are you okay having? Um, that's right. Although that's that one's awesome. pretty long, that might be a full back. <laughs> yeah, that would be that'd be a whole yes, I'd have to have the whole back covered. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> that's great. That's awesome. Well, um, you know, we gave multiple ways to to connect with you and um I just appreciate the wisdom and uh man, it gave me, you know, a lot of good things to think about, hopefully. Uh, to anybody listening, some you know, some practical things that they can put into place. But just want to thank you for you know being who you are, being an ISI guy, and um, helping us you know put faith at the center and how that can impact our finances. And um, really appreciate that. No oh, man, I'm honored to be a part of this. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Well, would you close us down in prayer today? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Father, we're so grateful that uh, you are patient, and that as we make missteps and we do things that are about us, that you are always there to kind of remind us that all of this is yours, that you are kind enough to continually bring us back into your kingdom's work. And so, Lord, I pray your blessing over all of us as men as we try to honor you. Would you protect us from the lore and the lie? Would you give us stories that we tell about ourselves that keep us generous and that we recognize that if these assets, these resources have been given to us to steward for your kingdom it means you gave them to us for a purpose would you give us clarity and wisdom on how to unleash all of this into your kingdom and honor you with it we're so grateful in jesus name amen amen i feel like the luckiest guy in the world i get to do these podcasts and chat with amazing people like james today i wanted to share basically my big three takeaways from our conversation and there's certainly a lot more than three, but uh, if I had to distill it down, number one was the lure of more and the lie of being irreplaceable. Um, and the idea that from an irreplaceable standpoint, there really are only a few roles and responsibilities we have in our life where we are irreplaceable. And so how does that dictate our time, um, our treasure, etc.? 
love that. Um, I like the idea of doing that, you know, once a year concept with um, your wife or spouse, or just even on your own uh, and setting that lifestyle cap, uh, doing a once a year, uh, here's where we're at, here's what the year ahead looks like and setting it in advance and then revisiting it and seeing how life goes. And then the third thing being the three circuit breakers that break generosity. And uh, the three are fortunate versus self-made. And these are all mindset differences. You know, are you, do you feel more fortunate or do you feel self-made? Do you feel gratitude or entitlement? And then the third being scarcity versus abundance. Uh, I love that. And it, his point is that if any one of those three concepts is off, your, you know, your circuit's broken and you're not getting any power uh, like you should. So love that good mindset to kind of put yourself in check on and just thankful for guys like James. And, you know, the ISI community has been made up of some people are authors and speakers. Some are just everyday people who have wisdom to share. And that's really how, uh, you know, ISI formed and how it will, I'm sure, will continue. So thank you for listening in. Hopefully you got a nugget or two that can help you be the best version of yourself. Uh, stay sharp and sharpen others by sharing this podcast and inviting or attending one of our retreats in 2022. Stay sharp. God bless.